Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Today we are going to talk about a niche subject within the security clearance process, but one that is incredibly important if you have gone through that process, and that is the Department of Defense, Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals. And today we are joined by Aileen Zanakis Kozlowski. She is an expert in this field. She is currently an associate counsel at Bigley Ranish LLP, where she represents clients worldwide in federal security clearance and suitability proceedings. But previously, she also served as assistant general counsel for the Washington Headquarters Services at the U.S. Department of Defense. So she knows the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals and knows about this adjudications process that, again, for the average security clearance holder, just might not be aware of. So thank you so much, Aileen, for joining me on the program today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lindy. I'm so happy to be here. So talk to me a little bit about Doha. Describe what their role is in the security clearance process. Doha is a, we like to call it a quasi-judicial agency. It functions as the appellate body. So if an applicant's written appeal is unsuccessful with the DOD CAF, the Doha attorneys and judges function kind of as that next level of review. Currently, administrative judges at Doha make final determinations and publish those opinions for DOD contractors. And for military and civilian employees, currently those Doha judges will examine the appeal, will sort of listen and function like the arbiter, and then make a recommendation to the PSAB. And it's the PSAB right now that issues the ultimate decision for military and civilian employees. If you have not checked out the Doha cases before, I love that they actually do publish those. I think it allows a lot of transparency to the process. You can actually kind of get a decent take to some extent by just reading through those cases. And, you know, about every week or so, we usually publish a recap of a recently released Doha case. Because I think if you're applying for a security clearance, they give pretty decent insight into kind of that process. Maybe can you speak to that? Because you mentioned that how they publish. Is it surprising maybe that they publish the results of those cases for contractors? Or maybe why is that beneficial to the process that they actually go through that. Well, to be honest with you, Lindy, I'm surprised that everybody doesn't do it. It's just such an unusual circumstance where sort of the the goal of the policy behind it is to examine everyone as a unique individual and not to make some sort of a bright line rule because that is just kind of an icky notion, right? That someone wouldn't be considered as a unique individual. But at the same time, we need some uniformity. We need some understanding of how these decisions are made and how the rules are being applied. There are so many decisions that hinge on, you know, whether there's been enough passage of time, for example. But what does that mean? You know, does that mean three weeks? Does that mean three years? Something in between? And what does it hinge on? You know, and I think that's why the Doha decision are so useful, not to say that they would be mandatory at every single agency, but they certainly are persuasive because this is the only place where we can really look consistently for the rationale behind why a decision was made for a unique set of facts, which kind of gives us a little bit of insight in terms of trying to extrapolate for someone else. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting, too, that there's also an investigation and an adjudicative process. I think for applicants, that's often confusing, that we have the security clearance background investigation process that we spend so much time kind of thinking about and writing about, thinking about what we include on the SF-86. But there is this adjudicative or decision-making process. And that's where Doha really comes in to say, was this decision based on the adjudicative guidelines or criteria or the merits? You see in the appeals, there's only certain circumstances where you can appeal a statement of reasons or a denial or revocation. So maybe talk through those two distinct processes and why that's important, even from a legal standpoint, that you have an investigation. But what's kind of being discussed at Doha is that adjudicative decision that was made. Kind of like we have checks and balances throughout our systems of government. This is very similar. The idea is to keep the investigations deliberately separate from the adjudications. For the same reason that you wouldn't want the police officer who saw you at one of uh, maybe not your finest moments to also be the prosecutor in your case six months later. You appreciate the value in having a different set of eyes, maybe a fresh perspective, and maybe even just coming at it with a different philosophy to have the adjudicators kept completely separate from the investigations. Yeah, and it's just interesting because I think people sometimes assume that their background investigator is the one making the decision. And so they come maybe to a background investigation, a personal subject interview, and they are trying to kind of argue their case for that person. But they are really just gathering information and they're going to transition it. So there is due process involved here. And a part of that is separating out those two pieces. Now talk about kind of appealing a denial. If you are a person and you're going through that process, you're you know appealing a denial or revocation, what should you expect? I think one of the most important things that people should understand is that these adjudications are designed to be predictive. They are not designed to punish you for past mistakes, even though it can feel like that. And we can look to certain Doha decisions to articulate the law behind that. But really, they're tr- they're trying to function without a crystal ball. They're trying to understand First, what happened, and second, whether or not it's likely to happen again. We want to kind of give a beginning, a middle, and an end when we come at these problems. We want to explain sort of how the situation arose, what actually happened, make sure everything's factually correct, and then explain why this is unlikely to recur, what's different now. So I think that's one of the ways that policy really is favorable to an applicant. But make no mistake, this is almost like the opposite of criminal law. So anybody who has a TV knows that, you know, in criminal law, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. But but we really come at it from a different philosophy because a security clearance is a privilege. It's not a right. So the onus is on the applicant to show why this situation is forgivable, to show why this situation is unlikely to recur. And even just to talk about the whole person concept, which sort of just introduces the applicant in more of a three-dimensional way and kind of underscores his or her credibility and just gives a fuller picture, the government must consider that, but it doesn't need to go looking for those facts. It's The onus is on the applicant to share that information. I think that's, you know, the most fundamental kind of two sides of 
of the same coin that people should understand in the appeals process. And then also just kind of understanding the mechanics of it, that you kind of get two bites at the apple here for the most part, that you're going to have an opportunity to respond in writing and that the DOD CAF will review that submission. And then if you need to go to another level of appeal, Doha will review that next level of appeal and you can sort of select going to a hearing in person or you can almost, it's almost like a hearing in writing. It's a decision on the written record and Doha calls it a form, a file of relevant material. So those are kind of the different bites at the apple that you get. Yeah, and it really is an interesting process. At different stages of the appeals process or the response to a statement of reasons, you kind of have different options for what you can present in terms of your case. Can you maybe speak to that? Because I know I see a lot of those Doha appeals cases, and it seems like people are trying to provide information that's already been presented again. And I see those continually get dinged. So, I mean, I'm clearly not using the legal language whatsoever, but maybe you can speak to that process. Like what are they actually looking for in, you know, from a legal framework and an appeal and maybe even as, as an attorney, why are attorneys important to that process? Cause they can kind of decipher that language of like specifically what the appeal board is going to consider. Just from a practical standpoint, sending something in writing tends to have a different feel and sort of is received differently than when you get to go face to face and look somebody in the eye and allow them the opportunity to judge your sincerity, really, which a lot of this comes down to. So when you're responding and writing to the DOD CAF, you want to make sure that you're telling a compelling story, understanding that you're never going to meet this person face to face. The thing that comes to mind most specifically is kind of this dichotomy where applicants want to take ownership over the mistakes that they did make, but also want to clarify, this is not as it seems. You know, maybe I didn't make the mistake that's being alleged, or maybe it really wasn't that bad. And I think that's really tough. I think it's hard to toe the line of getting that right and taking ownership, but also correcting the record. And so I think there is value in going face to face, even if you don't have a totally new set of facts, just so that your tone and your demeanor can be better interpreted by someone who's met you. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you see those cases, you know, when somebody has the difference between a decision on the written record versus the decision of somebody coming in, it really can make a difference and help improve somebody's chances of being able to successfully obtain a security clearance. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Past. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.